Hello and welcome to this special live edition of Keeping Faith. I'm your host, Maren Smith, and we're so glad that you're joining us today. This week, we decided to do something a little different on our podcast. With all eyes on the U.S. election since Tuesday, we know the news cycle has been a little bit tense and a lot overwhelming. So to help you find some calm in all this uncertainty, today we're talking about how to approach the news mindfully. I'm joined by friend of the podcast and mindfulness practitioner, Colin Oliver, and together we'll guide you through a mindfulness practice you can use to help you process even the most difficult news stories, no matter how any of this plays out. So grab your mug of tea, find a comfy chair, or plug in your headphones as you head out on a walk and join us in Keeping Faith. All right, so let's get started today, and we'll begin by welcoming our guest, Colin Oliver. Hi, Colin. Welcome to Keeping Faith. Hi, Maren. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to join you today. Yeah, it's great. I'm excited to have you joining us here today, too. So we start every episode of Keeping Faith with a land acknowledgement, um, where we sort of acknowledge the land that um, I'm on and that Keeping Faith is on and also that the guest is on. And it's a way that we sort of ground this podcast in actual space so you know that we're real people talking about real things in real places. Um, And also to give people a little bit of an insight into the history of um, the land that we're a part of. So Keeping Faith is located on Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabek territory in Hamilton, Ontario. And Colin, where are you joining from today. Uh, I'm broadcasting from Kitchener, Ontario, which is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Neutral, and Anishinaabe people. Amazing. And I just want to remind folks at home that if you're curious about whose land you're on, you can visit keepingfaithpod.com slash about where we have a list of Indigenous mapping resources. And we also encourage you to get in touch with your local Native Center or Council so you can find out more for yourself. Um, So before we get into our conversation, I also just want to say one little FYI for anyone who's listening at home. This is the first time that we at Keeping Faith are doing a live stream. So we're new to this platform and we're new to how all of this works. So there's the potential that we might hit a few glitches or some stumbles on the way. Um, We might cut out or if our internet doesn't work, um, we might drop off the line for a little bit, but uh, just hang tight, be patient and wait there and we'll be back with you as soon as we can. So fingers crossed that the technology gods and, and goddesses are with us today and that all runs smoothly. Um, so to dive into our conversation, I, I think it's a really good we're a really good balance for each other today on on the show, Colin, because <laughs> we have very different relationships with the news. I am a total political news junkie. Um, before this election, I would have said that 
elections in general were like my Christmas. I waited for them. I anticipated <laughs> them. I celebrated them. Um, but you have a very different relationship with the news, don't you? I absolutely do. I'm very um, news phobic, kind of news allergic. I feel really easily bombarded by the news. It was funny last night, my husband and I were watching television and he was checking the election update on his phone. I said, I don't want to know. Like, I, I got to research it in the morning for the podcast and then I'll talk about <laughs> it on the podcast. I'm like, I'm good. That's enough for me kind of thing. So it's um, interesting uh, as a mindful practitioner um, who does not necessarily always approach the news mindfully. <laughs> yeah. And I think on my end, um, I'm the kind of person because I have this kind of, you know, uh, desire to always engage with the news. It, it skews unhealthy be, when I feel like I constantly have to be a part of the cycle in order to um, stay informed. And I don't sometimes allow myself to have the breaks that I need to even let the news that I'm I'm reading or watching or listening to process and and sort of sink in and to know how I really feel about it. So um, I can get that that news overwhelm, that news kind of cloud fog <laughs> that I think happens <laughs> to some people. So bringing mindfulness to how I interact in that way, I think is, is going to be an important thing. For sure. I mean, it's definitely uh, a mindfulness is something that we'll talk today, but uh, that is of great benefit in many areas of life, but certainly with the news, um, and sort of the we we were talking earlier, like the immediacy of the news can be hard to handle, right? We have often very little space um, from news media in our lives, right? Yeah, yeah. The twenty four hour news cycle, and I think this this kind of idea that that news outlets have provided us with that we can have news all the time and that we can have new news all the time um, <laughs> yeah makes everything feel really urgent to us and and we mm -hmm. don't always know how to step back from that and i think you can have you know the reactions that both of us have that either makes you want to avoid what you're hearing and listening to, or it makes you kind of zone in and, and become obsessive about it. So um, I think on all fronts and over the last couple of days <laughs> and the way yeah. that things have been playing out, it's really good that we're, we're coming together to talk about mindfulness today. So why don't we start there? And can you talk a little bit about what mindfulness is, where it came from and what in general it's used for? Absolutely. So mindfulness in uh, essence is being in and aware of sort of the present moment. Uh, we talk about how our bodies are always living in the present, but our brains don't necessarily um, live in the present. We're thinking about anticipation of things to come or anxiety, maybe things that have already passed. And mindfulness is a way to kind of connect the body and the brain. And so its origins are, are kind of rich and storied. Mindfulness has roots in almost every major world religion. But the mindfulness that um, was brought into Western psychology primarily comes out of Hinduism and Buddhism. Uh, and in Hinduism, it was inextricably tied to the practice of yoga, uh, mm -hmm. which is in and of itself an exercise of connecting uh, the mind with the, the body, right? Um, and the breath. And um, in Buddhism, 
you know, it was utilized as one of the first steps to attaining enlightenment. And so uh, a few prominent psychologists, one of whom is named Jack Kornfield, that I'll be talking about a little bit later, kind of brought the mindfulness out of those Eastern religions into Western psychology. Um, they established an institute in North America about how to utilize mindfulness for stress. And then all this research started being done around mindfulness and, um, you know, researchers started doing brain scans of people that were practicing mindfulness and, and could see shifts in brain activity and kind of lowering of heightened brain activity while practicing or undertaking mindfulness practices. So it was this really interesting thing where this kind of thousands of years old religious and spiritual practice was all of a sudden um, kind of the hot topic of Western brain science and neuroscience. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of nice that there's this, this blend of both the ancient practice and how it applies to to our modern lives. And it's really exploded over the past couple of years as, as people have kind of seen the benefits and looked at, at the scientific studies behind it. Could you give us a couple of examples of what mindfulness is? How What are some mindfulness practices that maybe people might have heard from or, or how does mindfulness apply to our everyday lives? Sure. So primarily, um, most foundational mindfulness techniques work with uh, breathing exercises, but um, kind of newer or more recent techniques allow practitioners to draw attention to really whatever they're doing in the present moment. So, um, you know, one technique is mindful eating. Um, and so mm -hmm. this is not necessarily to like it's not about dieting or curbing eating. It's about grounding yourself in the moment, right? So um, if you're eating a raisin, really feel the wrinkles on the raisin. Smell the raisin before you put it in your mouth. Um, before you chew it, kind of let it sit on your tongue and just draw your focus onto what it feels like. So mindfulness practices are really about having an anchor um, or a focus for your concentration. So that's one example, a mindful cooking, right? Um, I find great joy in cooking and I like to... Um, I don't know, I like enjoy the rhythmic chopping of the veg vegetables, for example, right? Or like enjoy the smells of the soup on the stove. Um, so anything can, I, you know, most things can become mindfulness practices, really. Yeah, so it's all about an act, from what I get what you're saying, that brings you to the present moment, brings you to what is happening here and now, um, when so much of our time is spent kind of thinking and in brain land where we're trying to predict and plan and and sometimes we obsess about what's what's coming <laughs> down the road. <laughs> For sure. And I think, too, I mean, we, we have activities in which we go on autopilot, right? Cooking's one for a lot of people, mm. you know, um, people that commute home sometimes are like, oh, I don't really remember my subway ride home. They weren't really. Uh, present or paying attention, right? And so um, not that there's always necessarily something wrong with that, right? Sometimes we tune out or we zone out, um, but we want to cultivate the ability to be aware of sort of what's happening in the present, particularly within ourselves. Um, and, and that's sort of kind of the direction we'll be going in today. Yeah. Um, and I know from my own practice with mindfulness as well, I, I think that that last point you made is really important because when we recognize what we're feeling 
um, what may be causing our stress or anxiety or our desire to disassociate or our desire to obsess, um, we re, we get the the ability to choose what we do with that feeling. Because if we're not aware of necessarily what we're feeling or the feelings or thoughts that are causing um, our behaviors, we we kind of just end up doing things in our life that might not be as productive or that might um, kind of bring those feelings out in a different or thoughts out in a different way. And by becoming mindfully aware of them, we have that opportunity to then say, okay, I'm having this feeling or I'm having this thought. Now, what do I want to do with it? And it gives us that ability to choose again. For sure. And I think one of the challenges with that is this kind of permeating belief that there are kind of, quote, good emotions and bad emotions, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and we don't want to be aware of our emotions because if we're angry, well, that's a bad emotion. Um, or if we're afraid, that's a bad emotion. When really there are no good or bad emotions, there are just human emotions, right? They're part of every single human being's experience. Um, but it takes some effort to learn to acknowledge that and to be okay with feeling those feelings, right? Yeah, I think that's really true. I think I think you're very right. We're we are often taught that that um that intensity is something that we should shy away from and and that sometimes the feelings we have are intense and and that can feel like really physically comfortable uncomfortable and it's totally understandable that we don't want to feel that way but uh there is the opportunity that mind that mindfulness brings us that if we just take a couple moments to tune into those feelings they can actually start to change and how we feel can actually start to change too yeah, and that's going to come up in sort of the practice we're doing in a little while, but there's a lot of um, research in the field of neuroscience about um, the the naming of or describing of your own emotions actually can mitigate their severity. Um, mm -hmm. And people can, researchers can see kind of brain activity calming or decreasing through uh, having a patient describe or name their emotion, for example, um, kind of bringing it outside. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you're totally right that, that the practice we're working on today, I know, really helped me uh, in doing that. So um, I'm excited to talk about it more. But before we jump into cool. that, let's just talk a little bit about how mindfulness, because we've talked about it in, in a broad sense now, applies to reading the news. So how can it help people or, you know, our listeners at home right now um, engage with the news in a healthier way? For sure. Often, you know, traditionally in Western psychology, mindfulness practices are often um, undertaken with a goal of alleviating anxiety. But what they really do is they help to I don't want to say alleviate emotion, but identify and recognize emotion. And uh, the news, especially in a fraught time like the one we're all in this week, um, can really impact us in a variety of ways. I mean, you had mentioned feeling quite physically uncomfortable, um, mm -hmm. you know, and so mindfulness allows us to identify where what that is, where it's coming from. But more importantly, what does it need from us? Um, how can how can we uh, identify that as maybe a starting point for um, either self-soothing, maybe action to remedy an, an injustice we're unhappy with, um, but it allows us kind of the 
the centeredness to uh, work with the emotion instead of fighting against it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's again, comes back to that idea and what I'm hearing you're saying about giving us choice when we recognize that what we're reading or listening to or what we're watching is, is causing a reaction in us, then we can decide what we want to do with that feeling. And like you said, the choice could be to provide yourself with some nourishment or self-soothing, but it also might call you to an action in the world that that you would overlook if you didn't ha- take the time to really notice um, what you were feeling. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the emotions can sort of cloud our um, or hijack our cognitive um, clarity or cognitive behavior, right? And so if we're very angry or very upset or very anxious, um, that emotional activity in our brains is kind of hijacking our our natural order thinking, right? Um, and you're absolutely right. So it's very difficult to find our way out of that emotion sometimes. And so mindfulness can allow us to kind of see a path through um, to a destination that maybe is a, uh, a lot more comfortable for us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what we're going to do today um, in terms of the practice and how we're going to uh, kind of engage with the news mindfully, um, first, you're going to lead us through a mindfulness practice that you've prepared um, so that we all get a chance to try it out on our own in our bodies and notice what it, it feels like for us. And then uh, we're going to talk about a specific news article. So I'm going to give a a short five bullet point recap of a news article that you and I read today. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we're going to apply this practice to the news article. And you and I will talk through our experiences of reading this news article and practicing the mindful practice at the same time. Um, So does that all sound good to you? Wonderful. I'm excited. <laughs> so let's start then by uh, connecting in with the mindfulness practice that you're going to uh, show us today. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what the practice is to start? Sure. So I'm going to do a quick um, breath focus exercise. And the reason that breath focus is such a common feature of mindfulness practice is that we always have our breath with us. So it's... um regardless of the situation that we're in, our breath is there and we control it um, or can learn to kind of work with it to, to help us. And so the, one of the foundational tools of mindfulness is just paying attention to your breath. Um, Our breath can tell us a lot of things, right? We all know when we get stressed or angry or we went for a run, right? That we're short of breath. Well, that's telling us that something is happening in our body. Um, And often our breath might even be aware of that before we're cognitively aware of that, right? If you're really nervous, our body usually can uh, respond to those emotional states or manifest those emotional states before we become cognitively aware, right? Our palms get sweaty, our breathing gets shallow and rapid. And then we're like, oh, I'm stressed out. Uh, (laughs) um, And so... So we learn to just sort of acknowledge and observe the breath. And this can be a ridiculously challenging exercise for some people because we don't tend to do it very often. And I mentioned Jack Cornfield earlier, um, and in the course of his I took, he mentioned something that I really liked. He said, treat yourself when learning to concentrate on the breath with the kindness you would train a puppy 
when you are teaching it to stay. Mm. Um, and so kind of gently guide your focus back whenever you find that it might have wandered from our breath. Our brains do not naturally focus on one thing. It is a skill that needs to be cultivated over time. Um, so depending on where our listeners are, it would be wonderful to just get seated in a comfortable position. But of course, you could do this standing or lying down if you wanted. And we're all just going to take three deep breaths in together at your own pace. So in through the nose, out through the nose or mouth. Two more at your own pace. And last one. Wonderful. So you can allow your breath to re, uh, return to its natural state. Remember, there's no wrong way to breathe. And all you're going to do at first is guide your attention to the breath. So what do I mean by that? Well, I mean, I'd like you to think about where in your body do you feel your breath? Is there a rush of coolness in your nostrils as you breathe in? Is there warmth at the back of your throat as you exhale? Do you feel the rise and fall of the ribs or belly with the inhale and exhale? And if you, as I said earlier, find your mind is wandering as our minds tend to do, just guide the puppy back. And I'm gonna challenge you to Describe your breath with a texture. Is it smooth? Rough? And again, there's no positive or negative association with breathing. And if you've comfortably found a texture, I'm going to ask you to consider what color your breath is. Remembering that if you wander, just guide the puppy back. Bring your attention back to your breath. And just uh, because this was meant as a quick demonstration of an exercise, we'll take two breaths together. Great, and you might want to gently flutter the eyes open if they were closed. Maybe return your attention back into the podcast. Mm -hmm. Just take a moment, yeah. Wow, all right. I already feel <laughs> so much calmer <laughs> and grounded. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> so I hope if people were, were trying it at home with, with Colin, they were definitely feeling that too. Um, yeah, I hope so. All right. So uh, 
what we're going to do now is take this mindfulness practice that you guided us through and apply it to a news article that you and I had read earlier today. Mm -hmm. So the news article that we had looked at was from the New York Times, and it was an article titled, With His Path to Re-Election Narrowing, Trump Turns to Courts. And I'm going to give us a short five bullet point recap of this article so that everyone can be on the same page about what the major themes um, that were at play here uh, are about. So uh, fingers crossed for me, this was a longer article. So there was a lot to summarize. There's a lot of meat in it here. Um, so I'm going to give it a go, Colin. And then at the end, if you want to add anything else in, if there's anything I missed, please uh, feel free to do so. Okay. Oh, yeah, sounds good. So here we go. Five bullet point recap of this article. So number one, the Trump campaign has been mounting lawsuits over the last couple of days in key swing states, including Pennsylvania, Nevada, Wisconsin, and Georgia, as a way to stave off a potential election defeat from Joe Biden. Bullet point number two. Trump has been talking a lot about trying to halt ballot counting on Twitter, um, so to stop the counting of ballots in these states. But in most cases, the lawsuits that are being brought forward are not about that. They're about uh, filing for recounts or they're about contesting the legitimacy of a small number of ballots in certain districts. So trying to say that these uh, ballots, usually only a couple hundred, shouldn't be counted or were cast for wrong reasons. Bullet point number three, um, the Trump campaign is hoping to take this to the Supreme Court, um, where before the election, three of the Supreme Court justices, Alito, Thomas, and Kavanaugh, had signaled that they consider hearing a case after the election. After before the election, or previously, the Supreme Court had ruled against the Trump campaign in trying to prevent mail-in ballot counting deadlines to be extended. Um, but... In general, it's very rare that the Supreme Court will consider cases having to do with the campaign and the Trump campaign would be required to show that these extended deadlines harmed them before the Supreme Court would take up their case. Huh, that was a long one. Okay, bullet point number four. <laughs> There have been a lot of people that said there's echoes of the 2000 presidential race in this, where George Bush defeated Al Gore by a very slim margin in Florida, and the case was brought to the Supreme Court, which eventually ruled in favor of George Bush becoming president. But most analysts are saying that this is a very different case because Biden tends to be ahead in many different states. There's not just contested case in one state of Florida, and that Biden's lead is actually thousands of votes ahead rather than only a few hundred hundred ahead, which was the case back in 2000. And last one, point number five, so far, judges that have had these cases by the Trump campaign brought forward to them have expressed skepticism that the claims about the claims brought forward, saying that the rules in place, which the Trump campaign is contesting, have actually helped people vote and have had their voices be heard. 
and that there have been other Republican, uh, prominent Republicans, including Governor Scott Walker of Wisconsin, who has also said he remains skeptical that these challenges will go anywhere or will be able to move forward. Because again, Biden is leading by thousands of votes and recounts and challenges like this only usually shift a couple hundred of votes, a couple hundred votes around. So they don't end up making a huge difference. Okay. <laughs> I think I covered it all. Did you miss yeah. anything? Did no. I miss anything major, Colin? I don't think so. That was very comprehensive. <laughs> all right. So the way that we applied the breath-focused exercise that you just led us through to this article is um, that we practiced it at various different points while reading. So uh, for example, we read the title of the article and then we took a pause checked in with our breath, followed the cues that you were leading us through about connecting in with the color, the texture, the description, and then asked ourselves, why are we feeling this way? So we're bringing that attention to um, the emotion or the thought that's behind what we're feeling in our bodies. And then we did this again after reading halfway through the article. And then we did this again at the end of the article to notice if there was any new feelings or shifts or changes within us as we worked our way through. And then at the very end of the article, we also asked ourselves an additional question, which was, how does the way I feel or what does the way I feel call me to in my life right now? What action in my life does the way I'm feeling um, encourage me or call me to do? So um, it's, again, making that connection between how when we mindfully pay attention to how we feel, we can make choices about how we want to show up in the world or what we want to do with those feelings. Um, so we'll start from the beginning. Um, so, again, the title of the article that we uh, read today was With His Path to Reelection Narrowing, Trump Turns to Courts. So after reading that and doing the breath focus practice, what did you notice in yourself, Colin? So my breath was, um, my chest sort of like immediately tightened by the end of the headline. And I actually had to take a minute to work with that tension and, and, and the breath to like help alleviate that tension. Um, and it was interesting because I read the I read the headline and I was like, OK, you know, that's not really anything that was unpredicted. Um, and yet and yet the physiological response was there before the cognitive one. Right. And then I needed that that breathing moment to help alleviate that tension. Yeah, I um, I noticed for me kind of. A similar feeling in my body. I, I noticed like jaw tension, the feeling of my breath being stuck in my throat. Um, I think it felt very hot. And, and the adjective I kind of used to describe it was, was stagnant. And uh, I think for me, when I sort of asked myself that question of why I'm feeling this way, um, I think it came from feelings of frustration about waiting. You know, and and I think, like you said, there was there has been so much buildup to this election. And and even though we we knew that there was going to be these these 
challenges um, in court and that this was going to take a long time for us to get results, it's still really hard to just sit and wait and to feel like I'm in this this holding pattern in this place of of uncertainty. And I, I think um, the, with the idea that this could be challenged in court, it, it feels like this could be dragged out even longer. Yeah, and so definitely. I, I, I think I felt that frustration of, or that tension was just um, of, of being caught in this place where, where there's nothing I can really do, but this is also going to take longer. And even though I wanted to hurry up, this is just where we are right now. And, and that can be a frustrating place. Yeah, definitely. I think we have um, kind of an innate desire for resolution, whatever the resolution is. You know, we want to know the outcome, even if it's not necessarily going to be the outcome we want. And this idea of waiting now, maybe like months, if it goes to court, is quite intolerable for, for so many of us, right? Yeah, it's um I think our our society has trained us very much to expect <laughs> immediacy. Um yes. and and we've even talked about how the news cycle tries to show us that there's answers all the time. Um and that we can have them right away and this is a funny case where um the news actually can't tell us a ton <laughs> necessarily right away. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's no, you know, like when I when I looked Wednesday morning and the Associated Press was like, we can't we can't say anything yet. You know, we can't call it yet or whatever. And it's like, oh, really? Because you usually find out right away. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Waiting. Waiting is a is a tough, tough place to be. And, and I think, yeah. yeah, I think a lot of us are in that place now. Yeah. So moving forward uh, in the article, when we got to the halfway point, which for us was right around the time where um, the article started talking about the potential of these cases going to the Supreme Court and the um, issues that the Trump campaign had prior to the election brought to the Supreme Court. Um, what did you notice and what did you feel in your breath and your body? I was pretty... Um up and down. I think that the article had, had spent some time talking about the, um, you know, uh, the futility of what he was doing. You mentioned like Biden was ahead by way more votes and just a couple hundred. Um, but it also made me really nervous and anxious about, uh, about Trump, maybe not letting this go regardless of what the election results are. Um, and so I had a little bit of levity with, the. Uh, the belief that the courts probably weren't going to, that, that pathway wasn't going to work for him. Um, mm. But a lot of anxiety around all oh, and what, gee, you know, what's he going to try next? Yeah. And, and how did that manifest in your, in your breathing, in your body? What did you notice there that gave you that indication that that's what you were feeling? It was really funny because there was like, um, my, my breath was, okay, but it's like my heart was in my throat at the same time, mm. you know? Um, so it was like I was feeling both emotions physiologically as well. Yeah, yeah, that that mix of tension. I, I That resonates with me a lot too. Like I I think at that time, I, I also felt my breath 
in my chest, like in my heart, but there was also still a tension there. And I actually wrote down that I also felt tension in my jaw too. So, Ah. so that's really interesting. And, and I think the best way I could describe an adjective for my breath was kind of on edge. Like I kept, Um. yeah, the saying that kept running through my head was, was like a knife's edge, (laughs) you know, sitting Uh, on like a knife's edge. And I think um, when I asked myself why I, I was feeling that way and, and listened for what was coming up, I, I think very much for me, it was this idea of, you know, in drawing this out longer, in, in making this take longer, um, it, it felt it felt almost manipulative, you know, it felt like we are being put in this place of uncertainty unnecessarily. Um, and that it was because of one person's desire or one person's, you know, um, inability to accept the truth or, or whatever we want to call that or however you want to see it, but just that, that this is being made, bigger and more complicated than it has to be. And that that's holding all of us um, in this space um, because of one person's desires or actions. Yeah. And for, and for me too, that's really interesting. You said that because I was thinking about how it's such an unnerving reminder of how much power is in the hands of one individual, Mm. Uh, you know, um, that, that he really, because a lot of, you know, it, uh, one of the other things, the article, a lot of the rep, uh, Republican senators are like, yeah, no, I don't agree with what he's, he's saying or like how, how he's going about things or whatever. And yeah. yet he's, he's able to just do what he wants anyway, really. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a really good point that, um, when power is concentrated, like that, or when there's people not willing to sort of stand up to that power, the system doesn't make it easy to do that. Um, that that it's far easier for one person to control the narrative, and and, and in some ways, it makes us feel like they're controlling how we feel, which again is why the mindfulness, <clears throat> sorry, is so important because it helps us regain that sense of control in ourselves. So I'm, I'm grateful <laughs> for the practice yeah. in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, so by the end of the article, um, what were you noticing in your breath and, and what were you feeling in your body? And, and I'll just note for listeners again, that that second half of the article talked a lot more about um, kind of the, the, the fact that the cases that have been brought in front of justices already, the justices have shown skepticism that uh, in the claims that this is unfair by the Trump campaign. And and also, as you mentioned, it talked a lot about, you know, other Republicans um, in the party who have said that, you know, Biden's lead is just too big. These challenges probably aren't going to go anywhere. Yeah, I actually had... um... Uh, my breath was fairly calm by the end. It was, if I had to describe it, I would say it was heavy. Um, mm. And and by that, I mean, I, I, I just found myself by the end of the article feeling a little bit of like sadness or mourning for just how farcical um, things have become. And maybe not farcical, but like what a circus it is. Um, 
and and how challenging I mean it is on all of us here in Canada about how challenging it must be really for people living in America too to be um, experiencing such uncertainty and I had a lot of kind of sadness for that I think yeah sadness and it sounds like kind of like empathy for yeah yeah situation yeah it was funny I I think I had for me, a little bit more of the reaction that you had in the midpoint in the article. <laughs> okay. I think we were like, we, we, we flip-flopped a little bit on that. But I, I think for me, I, I felt my, uh, I felt my breath farther down in my body. I felt it in my low belly and I felt it a little bit lighter. I would describe it as a bit fuller. Um, I think overall, my body felt a little bit more grounded than I had definitely at the start of the article. Um, and when I asked myself why I was feeling that way, I, I think for me, it was at, at the end, this idea that in the midst of all of this uncertainty and in the midst of um, you know, a, a certain person trying to cast doubt on this situation, that the system is working or so far is holding right now and that judges and secretaries of state and election officials are actually doing their job of counting ballots and are keeping the focus on trying to count as many ballots as possible. And that even though certain parties are trying to cast doubt on the system, that the process has, interestingly enough, worked relatively smoothly and mm. and with a certain level of integrity that I think um, a lot of us were concerned about. And so I think I felt a little bit more like, okay, I can feel more grounded because there is like this is actually functioning in 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 a way i can i can like hold on to that truth that it is functioning in in the way that that we hoped it would with the integrity that it has yeah like the system is working right yeah absolutely um yeah and so i think that 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 kind of helped me feel a little bit more grounded um so uh at the end of the article, we also asked ourselves this additional question of what does the way I feel call me to in my life right now? And the motivation behind that question was, again, to help us remember that we have a sense of autonomy. I think so often when we read the news, sometimes we can feel a sense of helplessness, like there's nothing we can do in our lives that is going to change or support this situation. And, and this is to remind us that that even in small ways, we do have that autonomy and we do have that ability to choose and, and make a difference in our in our own lives and and do something with the way that we feel. So um, for you, Colin, like at the end of the article, what did you what did you feel you were being called to in your life? It was really simple. You know what? I have uh, I have loved ones in, in the, the States and uh, for me, it was just check you know like there's some there's some people they're not okay you know this is really difficult for them um and just knowing i think checking in on them and letting them know you're here um and they, they don't have a uh, i think because america um politically and in, in media is so common in canada 
that's not true vice versa right they don't get uh, a lot of canadian political news kind of thing mm-hmm. so um like my one, my one of my good friends in ohio which is a swing state always she texted me last week and said, do you get election coverage in Canada for the states, right? They don't even know that we're really aware. So I think that um, if you have loved ones in the states, and I don't, I don't think it even matters who they voted for, this is a hard time, uh, just like just check in and, and tell them you love them and let them know you're here. Yeah, this sense that that we're not waiting alone, that there's yeah. other people waiting with you. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I think for me, um, one of the, well, there were a couple things actually that, that came up. I think one of the first things was just a really simple thing about the need to stay present because I think it's so easy for us to get caught up in, and especially for me to get caught up in the, the what ifs, well, what if the Trump campaign does this, or what if a judge rules this and, um, that it's actually really important to just stay present with what is happening in the moment because uh, the anger that we feel or the frustration we feel when we get down the road of the what ifs can um, cause a lot of problems and a lot of anxiety that, that doesn't need to be there if we really just focus on on what is happening now. And I think that idea of like, focusing on the system is working so far really brought that out for me. Um, And then I think the other thing that I felt was just uh, a reminder to be slower to judgment. Um, And by that, I kind of meant like judgment of people because um, I think it's really easy in tense times to see people as monoliths, right? To think like all Republicans feel this way or all Southerners feel this way or all Americans believe this, right? And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, and this article kind of showed that that's even not the case within the Trump campaign itself, within judges appointed by certain presidents of certain parties, you know, um, people within the Republican Party in, in total. And, and I think it kind of made me reflect a lot on the fact that if I if I start seeing and labeling people in these broad categories, I also contribute to the polarization that's happening now. Um, and that it, it kind of deprives me of an opportunity to really engage with people and, and understand where they're coming from and and what they're feeling and and seeing them as people. Um, there's that, you know, saying that it's that it's it's difficult to hate up close. And I think that yeah. that's a really important thing to to kind of keep in the front of my mind at this time because um, I think when we start seeing people as categories and not as individual people, we we lose the opportunity to really um, to really make a connection and, and have constructive conversation and then also the potential to fix or change things um, in that way. So that felt important too. Yeah, definitely for sure. Um, yeah. And then just one more thing at the end that, that kind of came just as I was like about to sign off writing, but, but it was about how, um, 
I think I need to pay more attention to how our democracy is functioning. And I think that that came from this idea of like, okay, you learning a bit about in the article about the way that the court system works, the way that the appeal system works, the way that you can ask for a recount and the way that counts are actually happening. And I, I think, um, I think what I realize is, is even in, if I don't live in the U S I, I should be paying more attention to how my own democracy is actually functioning. And, and, I, I kind of realized, even for someone like me who's really engaged in the news, like I don't know what resources are available to see how the government is functioning. I don't know all of the ways that that you can access information from our government. And I think it kind of calls on me to to do my own homework and research in that so that I can I can look at how this is happening for myself and make my own judgment calls on it rather than just relying on media sources or other people for reports on how, how that's working. So, and, and, and doing that also then I think helps me focus on, you know, what I need to do to, to protect this, this democracy. So really trying to, to call myself to account, to be like, okay, if this is important to you, you got to go and do some research yourself and really know how this thing works. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's, um, that's, uh, there, I think there's something in our society in Canada that that is less intrinsic than it is in America. I think America, a lot of states seem to have a, maybe a more deeply entrenched understanding of how their political systems operate. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if it has to do, I'm not sure why, if it's our education system, you know, system or, um, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I don't really know the, I should, but I don't know all of the ins and outs of our parliament here, you know? Yeah. And then, and then how, sorry, I was going to say, then how do we, how do we protect it when we don't know what it is? <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's the feeling that I've heard from, you know, a, a lot of Americans that like they didn't anticipate that their democracy was as fragile as it was. And I think that it's it's, you know, a wake up call to realize that if we're not paying attention and if we're just taking the system for granted, it can erode under our right under our noses. So um, democracy is only as strong as our ability. Uh, ability to participate and actively part or our desire to actively participate in it. Absolutely. And I think that's exactly right. It's be, it's now the, not the ability of a desire to do so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is up to us to continue to make this function in a way that's accessible and equal or equitable and, and works for everyone. For sure, it takes us to hold it to account. Um, all right. Well, uh, that already makes me feel so much better than I did when I woke up this morning and read this news article. Uh, just talking to you about this and really engaging with this in, in a mindful way. Um, yeah. I'm curious for people at home who are listening to this, it's, it's great to know that you can apply these exercises to the news, but are there other places that you would suggest or that you think 
an exercise like this breath focus one can really help to support people. Absolutely. I think that breath focus is really great. Um, any, um, you know, in any situation where you feel there might be stress or conflict or um, a challenge that you're facing, if you remember, it's, it's a, a practice, right? So you have to remember mm. to check in, check in with your breath. Um, because often, like I, I've said a couple of times, our body responds physiologically to emotion before we become aware of it cognitively. Um, so oftentimes, you know, if you, someone says something at work, maybe you don't like, and you kind of snap back and you're like, Oh, I didn't even know I was upset or angry. Um, but your body probably already knew. Um, and so right. I think that remembering that, um, the, the breath, even if it's checking in for one or two or three breaths is a gift that will allow you to respond instead of react. Um, and so there's never anything wrong. If someone asks you something or says something to you with saying, Oh, I just need to think about that for a second. And then like, what's my breath doing right now? Um, mm. so that's like a really interesting way to be aware of your emotional state. I like to do it just as sort of like a, check in in the morning even right um where where is my breath right now how am i feeling today kind of thing because often we just get up and go through our, our morning routine and we're not really even aware um that we might be in a really great mood or we might not be in a really great mood and probably both of those we want to be aware of right um so it's a simple practice to just allow you to be aware of how you're feeling um, it can also be a good way to calm yourself before something stressful. Maybe if you have like a presentation or an interview, um, just getting your mind off of it for a few minutes and focusing on the breath can lower that, that, uh, stress and cortisol level too. Right. Yeah. I think that's so important what you're talking about there. I, uh, the need for immediate response. And again, we we kind of talked a little bit about this at the beginning with the idea of the 24-hour news cycle and always having information at our fingertips and always needing to have answers right away. The flip side of that is that we hold ourselves to this standard of, of having to respond right away and taking that little bit of time just to reflect before we answer back. And and I know um, my husband and I were talking about this this morning, especially in relation to texting, that it's okay <laughs> to, to not have to text back right away, that, that you, can, you can take that time to think. I think that's a really important reminder. Yeah. Yeah. And just to remember to listen to your breath, like our bodies hold so much knowledge about how we're feeling, right? Um, we, we think of ourselves as only being our brains, but our, our bodies are actually living where we are, you know, mm -hmm. not necessarily our brains. So, yeah, we're more than just uh, brains walking around, That's right. yeah. <laughs> you know, out, out in the world right now. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah. definitely a good reminder for that. Sure. Well, I think we've come to the end of our our episode for today. Yeah. I'm I'm so happy that you were able to join us, Colin, and thank you for Me sharing. Me too. <laughs> thank you for sharing all your wisdom and this incredible mindfulness practice uh, with us. And we'll definitely have to talk to you again soon. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. And I would love that. 
Absolutely. Um, And for people at home, if you're listening to this episode, please share your thoughts with us. You can reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook at Keeping Faith Pod, or you can send us an email at hello at keepingfaithpod.com and share your experience of trying out this practice, whether it's reading the news with it or trying it out in your own life as you practice taking a breath before you respond. This episode will be released again in our general podcast feed by Friday if you're subscribed. And if not, you'll see it show up in the general podcast feed on Saturday. So you can listen to this again and refer back to our conversation or the exercise that we did with Colin. Next week on Keeping Faith, we'll be talking with Talia Chernow about her struggle to make sense of her diverse faith background, being raised Jewish by her father and Unitarian Universalist and pagan by her mother, and how now, as an adult, she's figuring out how to make one more tradition fit as she shares her life with an atheist-raised Muslim. But until then, as always... I'll be holding you in hope and faith. I'm Maren Smith, and we'll see you next week. Have a good one, everyone.